This topic, I finally got around to it again, and uh, let me just try and give it another title, different from the one we have used before, even though it's the same spirit, the same thing that we are talking about. Um, I told you once, I was encouraged when I listened to Kenneth Hagin. I got a compilation of his messages, and I found that he's taught all those years, 60 years, taught only on four things. I said, good, at least I'm doing it like five. <laughs> I'm not doing too badly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, I don't know whether I do up to five, maybe I do like three. Okay, three. So we're back to this topic we began from. Just as, as we continue to teach, new light keeps coming up. And of course, don't assume that everything you've explained, everybody understands them. So you have to continue to give, um, to go over these things again and again until everybody is fully assured, all right, persuaded concerning the truth that the Word of God presents. So what I want to talk about today, beginning from today, I don't know how, I'm going to be on it, I'm not going to be in a hurry. Basically, if you get the book, How to Work for God, many of the things I'm saying inside here, and in this set of teachings, will be found inside the book. And I've done this series also on radio. Radio messages are slightly different in the, they're slightly different the kind of flavor that they carry, all right? But I just want to explain that there's nothing new, really, that I'm trying to share. I just want to emphasize to the people of God again how to do the work of God in their lives. So I don't know how to title it, but that's exactly where we are going. Especially since, all right, we discovered in recent times that many people still don't understand that the church building is a building and it's not the house of God. You know, it's amazing that Christians, some people still don't understand that. That the church building is a building where Christians gather and it is not the house of God. All right? Um, David Paulson says something. When he was a pastor of a church, one day a school in the neighborhood requested to come and see the church. So they came with the teacher. When they said, please, where's the church? He said to them, the church is not around. Did you get that? He was in the church building. So the teacher was a bit confused. He said, we came to see the church. He said, can we see the church? The man said, sorry, the church is not around. The teacher was confused. He knew what the teacher was trying to say, but he was trying to make a point that the church is not around. The church... So like, okay, we want to see some day the baptistry. The, I said, okay, you want to see where the church meets? I said, good. They took them into the church building. That this is where the church meets. Told them. The church hasn't come yet. They will come on Sunday. They will come on Tuesday evening. The church will come on Friday night for a prayer service. The church will come at a different time. But right now, this is where they meet, this building. So that's what he was telling them. He kept the woman hanging for a while. Before he finally let her down gently, that this is the building where we meet. This building is not the church. The church is those of us that come, that gather together and come to worship in unity. It is just the place where we meet. This building is most certainly not the church. You will have thought everybody will understand that. I hope you are getting my point. But not everybody does. So let's explain some of these things again. How do I do God's work in my life? Let's begin today by reading from the book of Matthew chapter 7. And I'll also like to... Look, let's read first of all from the book of John chapter 4. The book of John chapter 4. Let's start from that one. We'll now go down to that Matthew chapter 7. What am I reading from the book of John chapter 4? It's a portion that we all know well. The Lord Jesus... Stopped there one day to talk to a woman. Well, he stopped because he was tired and he had a conversation with a woman. 
We start from verse 3. It says, He left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria uh, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied by his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now later on, you will know that the disciples went out to go and buy something into the city. In verse 7, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it? How is it? No, sorry. Say, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you will have asked him, and he will have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? I'm just reading the whole conversation. Where we are going, let me jump so as to get there. Let me just jump there. Um, he now, of course, they had this discussion. Let's now get down to verse um, 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that you are speaking of, the water that springs up to eternal life. And in verse 16, he said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, that's what they call a word of knowledge, and the one whom you, have, who now, whom you now have is not your husband. This you have, you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive, this is where I'm going, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, if you are a prophet, please, I have a question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, the Jews, it was, she was saying, say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. You have located worship in a particular physical environment. You have located worship in a particular structure. Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now it is. That is, your hour is beginning now, now that I have come. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. Why is it like that? He seeks such people because God is spirit. If you have a King James Bible, you say God is a spirit. Literally, you say God is spirit. That's what my Bible says. It didn't put A there. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He said God is seeking such people to worship him. Now, let's stop reading here. Let me quickly explain for a moment what it meant when he said God is spirit. What it simply means. Spirit it means, um, let me put it like this, that this is substance of God is that spiritual substance called spirit. Let me put it like that. All right, the substance of God is spirit. To say God is spirit means God is not physical. All right? It's like saying God is German. He's not Nigerian. God is Nigerian. He's not Cameroonian. God is Ghanaian. He's not, are you getting my point? So when he said God is spirit, he was describing the nature of God. The fact that God is not a physical being. That's what he was trying to say. 
He said, for that reason, when he wants to judge what people are doing, he doesn't judge what they are doing based on the physical appearance. He doesn't judge what they are doing by what the eyes can see. He said, God seeks worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. Please, let's bear that in mind. Now, it's a portion we know very well, just that we, needed, we need to read it again and again to remind ourselves. Let's now go back to the one I mentioned earlier. That's the book of um, Matthew, chapter 7. Now, this is one thing we must know. This teaching of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to read this from verse 15. And I'm going to read up to verse 23. It said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That is, it's not the appearance that matters. It is what is inside. It is not how they look. It is what their hearts are intent on doing. That's what he was saying. It is what they are inwardly. That's actually what really matters. False prophets will come to you looking like pastors. False prophets will come to you looking like church people. He said, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. He said, how do we now know them? You will know them by their fruits. Now, later on, we see the word fruit. It is not by their works or by their anointing or by the effect of their ministry. When the Bible uses the word fruits, especially in this context, it's talking about the fruit of their personal lives. It's talking about the fruit of their character. It's not talking about the fruit of their anointing. It's not talking about the work that they perform. Please bear that in mind. You will know them by their fruits. He said, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles. Are they? That's, I'm using the American Standard Version. So every good tree bears fruit, bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now, the fact that they are calling me Lord, Lord, and they are members of churches, and they are members of ministries, is not what matters. Because he said in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Please follow this. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform miracles. Did we not do all of these things? He said, but then I will declare to them, I never knew you. He's not saying they backslid. I never knew you. He was not saying there was a time they stopped being one of his people. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, he says to them, you who practice lawlessness. Or King James, I like the expression, you workers of iniquity. You who practice lawlessness. Now, why did I read this particular portion? Uh, this is where I want to begin from, to emphasize to us how God judges things. And for us not to be confused by outward work. That's where I want to begin from. These people here, they said to the Lord, this was the day of judgment. I do not believe, all right, that they had the intention to deceive the Lord that day. When they spoke, they spoke out of conviction. They felt that, listen, when we were working for you, 
We prophesied in your name. We were bishops, archbishops, apostles, evangelists. No matter the title people had on earth, we had those titles also. Now, please, let's start with that. People used, I mean, those titles. They had those offices. They were prophesying in the name of the Lord. And I want you to understand something here. They were not lying. They were not telling lies. Next, they said, we cast out demons in your names. That's the frightening part. The work of the Spirit was tangible in their ministry. He said, in your name, we performed many miracles, not one. Not two. The word was many miracles. In your name we did that. They were not lying. Judas was in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And when he would send them out, two by two, somebody had Judas as his partner. All the guy needed to be afraid of was his money. Otherwise, everything was okay. Judas would pray properly. Lay hands on the sick, Judas would do that. And results would follow. When people were casting out demons, Judas was there. Now, so these people, they said they performed many miracles. Now, let's not even discuss why the Lord allowed that. But he did. Yet, when the day of judgment came, he said to them, they presented these facts to him. We were working for you. We were known as your ministers. But he said, I never knew you. All the time you were working for me, he said you were People who practiced lawlessness. You were somebody or you were people who practiced, you were workers, let's use King James' expression, of iniquity. What does that tell you, therefore? The fact that somebody is working in ministry, the fact that somebody is preaching the gospel, the fact that somebody is laying hands on the sick and you are seeing results, the fact that a fellow is casting out demons is not at all an indication of whether the Lord recognizes that individual as one of his own or not. No way to tell from there. I'm not presenting this so we can go and judge other people. I'm not presenting this so we can go and be sitting down and say, is this man real or is fake? You now take a microscope, a telescope, all kinds of scope to start scoping his life. That's not the issue. But I want you to get a cell phone scope. Are you getting my point? You know that thing? That equipment? Have I ever heard of it? That if you didn't hear of it before now, you've heard of it today. What did I call it? A self-foscope. It has to need a mirror, magnifying glass, microscope, but the important thing about it is that it's focused on you. My own is focused on me. My own doesn't examine my wife. That would be a wife foscope. <laughs> this one focuses on me. And what I'm presenting to us today is for us all to focus on ourselves and ask, am I really doing the work of God? Am I indeed one of his servants that he recognizes? Let me say this again. Like I said, I did not have to be saying things like this, but you have to keep saying these things. So people will be established. They will know the truth. They will know they have, they've heard it before. Pastors are very good at giving people Making people belong. What I mean is this. If, I, if you're in this ministry, I see you're one of my co-workers, and I don't want you to go away. One of the things I do is to give you a title. And human beings like that self-importance. It's very simple. You want people to stay, you create a structure 
by which today, what are you? You are just a worker in the church. Then there's a structure in which after two years of diligent working, I check your tithes, your offerings, your com- commitment to meetings. After two years, I guarantee you a rank. Even if I don't say it, you know. Because the man in front of you, that was how he did it. After two years, we give you a title, deacon, elder. You know, li- anyway, Churches have different ones. Some have very tech names, very, very tech. All right? They call it pastoral care institute or whatever it is. You know, you know, ministerial, you know, you find a name for you. Then you rise in the ranks. After some time, you move higher. Then finally one day, you ordained a pastor. That to me is one of the sins of this, of this generation. In which you move people up in ranks until they get to a place called pastor. As if pastor is something that you aspire to. Nobody is allowed to aspire to a ministerial office. Each person is called into it. It's not superior, it's just a job. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's just a job. It's just a job that we do for God. In the day of judgment, this is how God judges people. He doesn't say, pastors, your houses are bigger than the rest. You know, I've, I used this illustration before. I mean no disrespect. These are men I love. I mean, those who know me very well, they know how much I regard a man like Bishop David Oedipo. I regard him very highly. All right? But there's a mistake Christians still make. They still think the day of judgment, he will be in front and you'll be collecting all the mansions in heaven. While the rest of them, who only manage to do something small, God will find them a big queue attached to the man's mansion. People reason like that. Some say, ah, look at people like Pastor Eadebo, they have their mansions already ready, set. Look, what are you doing? What have you done for God? You will get up and do something that God will know you are doing something for him. Listen, let me tell you, it's a fat lie. What did I say? It's a fat lie. You don't know how God will judge anybody. I recommend books a lot. And I like to recommend this book again, even though I've recommended at least a hundred times. The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. You will see this man got to heaven. God gave him visions. And he saw a man that did not win any soul to Christ, did not work any miracles, nothing. Yet they gave one of the largest thrones up there. And he asked, why did you do that? I think he recognized the man from the earth or something. He said, this guy was born. He said, to whom much is given? Much is expected. He experienced only three doses of love in his life. God compared two people, actually. He compared this man with another man who was doing good charity work. Ordained minister. Go out to go and preach the gospel. Go to the streets. Share the word of God. All right? And he compared with this man that the only work this man saw him do, okay, was that, now this is interesting. A cat walked across his foot. A cat, you know, trying to look for something warm, just brushed against him. And he raised his leg to kick the cat. Then he restrained himself and shoved the cat angrily out of the way. And the Lord said in effect, said this man has used all the love he knows to prevent himself from killing that cat. Say so he was born blind, and he was born deaf. He, could, he never spoke, he couldn't talk, uh, so he couldn't hear. So the parents, because they were ashamed of him, they used to keep him out of sight, and they treated him very harshly. After some time, he left the house. He was just walking around on the street. He did not know love. 
The other man is a typical one that grew up in a Christian home. They are going to sleep at night. Love you, baby. Good night. Mother would talk him, talk him into bed, tell him best time stories. Told him about Jesus Christ when he was a little baby. He grew up knowing the expectation of a Christian man. So he had a very stable home, ordained into ministry. The Bible says everything you, the Lord said, you see everything you are seeing him do. He is only, using only 70% of the dose of love I gave to him. So when God was going to judge, he said, this boy is doing far better than this my minister of the gospel you are seeing. I hope you are getting my point. Listen, listen, the way God judges here, forget everything, but God does not look at the outside. He looks at the heart. He doesn't, he doesn't judge the way we judge at all. He look, please go and buy that book and read it. I don't sell it, so I don't, I'm not trying to make money off you. The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. One of the best books I've ever read. If I list top 10 books that blessed my life and helped me understand things, that's one of them. The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. The man said, when the man died, you know how he died? He froze to death. Cold killed him. Why? Because he removed his own jacket to keep a, what Americans call a wino, a drunk homeless man. To keep the man warm, he removed his own cloth. And he froze to death. But that's what it looks like. But actually, he said what happened was that heaven loved him so much, they wanted him. The angels wanted him to come. So physically, you see a man freezing to death. The truth was that heaven said, come. The earth is not worthy of you. The way God judges, you don't know. People say you will win many souls when you are going to heaven. You hold them. It's one of the funniest things you heard. There are two things that happens when you are going. Naked you came, Job said. No matter what they dress your corpse like, you went naked. Two, alone you came. <laughs> Even if you are twins, you are going back alone also. You can't hold any, I hold the, my, the souls I want for God. You can't hold them. What is the reason? Simply because you never want any soul for Christ. All you did was to preach the gospel. You say, ah, what's the difference? The difference is that if I preach the gospel and you preach the gospel and the other person preaches the gospel, that's all God recognizes. The effect it has is not dependent on us. So he said, Paul, Paul was speaking, he said, I planted, Apollos watered. It is God that gave the increase. It's God that gives increase. So you cannot judge how effective your ministry is by counting the souls. What we can just, in quote, aspire to do is to preach as commanded. I was telling something, yes, I remember. There are two of our prophets from the Old Testament. Very effective prophets. We read them very regularly. One is called Jeremiah. The other one, Isaiah. These are people that you may think they were effective prophets, but they hardly won any soul. Are you surprised to hear that? Jeremiah said, all that the word got for me was enemies, that it got to a time 
this word got me so many enemies, I decided I was not going to preach again. So then the word, when I kept quiet, it became like fire, shot up in my bones. That is, so much was it that the word was only getting me enemies. Not this one that maybe people like us are going on the road. Pastor Banky, God bless you, Sam. Very Finally, I'm happy to meet you. I want you to know that your words have been a blessing to me, to my family. Jeremiah, one is going to say, see him. <laughs> that is the guy. He said we will die. We will not die. <laughs> then sometimes he starts walking naked. He said, I thought this guy was not normal. The word of God only brought him enemies. So he said, in fact, if you read the King James, he said, God has deceived me and I have been deceived. His ministry was like that. He had no friends, very few people. People like Baruch, you know, people like that, Sariah, those are his secretaries, his friends, co-preachers. As for the general population, nobody liked him. Nobody. You will prophesy to the king. The king said, don't tell anybody what he told me. Those ones will come and say, if you don't tell us, we will kill you. They will throw him into a, you know, into a cistern, all right, that was kind of dry, which meant that it wasn't totally dry, so his feet would sink in mud, hoping he would starve to death. That was Jeremiah. Yet, he was an effective minister. Why? God said to him, don't worry about the results. Whatever I say to you, make sure you say it. Whatever I send you, just go there and say what I said. Go wherever I send you. As for the effect of the ministry, it's none of your business. That is why you cannot count that this man has gotten more results than this one. I am one person that I don't like this doctrine of it is results that matter. I don't believe it. Because if it was results that mattered, Isaiah was also a failure. Isaiah said something. That I said, let's read it. Isaiah chapter, is it 49 or 45? I'm going to emphasize something to us. Let's know how God judges so that when we are working, we can do what is right and effective for him. Isaiah chapter 49. He said, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. I'm not analyzing that now. I just want to bring out something. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, this was what God spoke to Isaiah, even though we know it's a prophetic word. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. He said, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Israel back to him so that Israel might be gathered, Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. Verse 6, he said, it's too small a thing for you that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Let's just stop here. Now, what I want to bring out here, this is a prophetic word, actually, all right? But I'm trying to bring out something. That you can be in a particular situation in which you labor, and you don't see the result that you labored for. 
So that is why nobody goes to heaven and they will count for him all the souls he won. The Holy Spirit said, no, forget it. You didn't win anything. Your each man, Paul said, gets his reward according to his labor. He said, occupy with this until I come. Each person is rewarded according to how he used this in his hand. You see a big ministry, all right? You see Rehon Bunky's ministry as an example. Christ for the nations. The man Rehon Bunky is on top of it, it appears like. That is what you think. The day of judgment, God knows who was more faithful in that work. Nobody else can tell. You know, when I read the book, the biography of um, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, when I, I was surprised to find out that Billy Graham Ministries, or is it uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Organization, does not mean it belonged to Billy Graham. For a long time, I thought it did. And I read his biography, and he said his friends, there were four people ministering side by side. When they had to register the ministry, they had to look for a name for it. Three of them chose the name Billy Graham Evangelistic Organization. He was not one of them. So he came and said, why did you put my name? I don't know whether you're getting the point. There were four of them. He wanted the other people to say, why did you put my name? Because they had started the paperwork. They sat him down to explain to him that you see you are the preacher. You are the one everybody knows. That if we use another name, they won't be able to connect. So since you are the preacher, let us put your name. So he relaxed. It was four friends ministering together. But he happened to be the preacher. The other person sang the songs. One played the instrument. One did all the legwork, the organizing, the running around, the hiring of the halls. There were four people ministering together. Later, one of them left, leaving three. The name Billy Graham was only placed on it so that you and I will be able to identify him, the, the, the organization. Because by that time, many people knew their work. And each time they come out, the person who preached all the time was the man Billy Graham. But it was not his ministry. It was four men working together. And three of them chose his name, not him. To use as a label for the organization. <laughs> what am I going to say? You don't know how God is judging. The man who runs around, very faithful, very effective in making sure that the, the hall, the, the stadium that they used, the halls they used were rented, everything was prepared. They left Billy Graham alone to be praying, to be preparing his sermon. You don't know how God judged. Whether Billy Graham, when, when he's supposed to be praying, did they, they chop granite? <laughs> Maybe when they say speak, he did not say everything because two senators were sitting in front. He didn't want to offend them. Maybe. Maybe God gave him ten messages. Five were good. Five were good for everybody. They enjoyed it. Five offended people. So he preached only five. Did not preach the other five because he didn't want to offend people. He feared man. Maybe. I'm saying maybe. I'm not saying he did that. But the other man, they said, look, that place, nobody will allow you to rent a hall. They say, watch me. And he goes and prays and prays until he breaks that barrier. And he goes and says, Billy, come. We are preaching here. Sometimes many people almost beat him up. And he stood and said, listen, whether you guys like it or not, the gospel of Christ will be preached in this place. Maybe he did that. But when you see the program going on, people are singing, everything is going on. 
Say, so, oh, this Billy Graham man, he has mansion in heaven. Because they him. If he gets a BQ, I'll be surprised. <laughs> Is that the mansion? Is the man who rented the hall, decorated the hall, plugged the equipment, and then sat in the audience. And the rest of us don't know. I hope you are getting my point. There are people God says your job is I am going to make you rich. You have more money than average. How, what are you going to do? No problem. You may decide that that's how you should spend all your holidays in London. You won't know that it's your anointing you are wasting. It's your destiny you are throwing away. I gave you total, you know, because you know this man, um, Peter Daniels, he said one of the goals in his life is to see how much money a man can give in a lifetime. That is, some people say, what is your worth, you know? You'd be amazed that the man has given, possibly, I'm not sure, possibly has given out billions. But you see, they can't count the billions because he gives them out. So when they are counting billionaires on the earth, you don't count him, maybe. But if God were to count the money somebody has given out, he was a billionaire in heaven, or he's a billionaire in heaven. But you see, we can't know these things. Because you buy Forbes magazine, and it tells you a miser is a billionaire. Why? Because he hoarded all his money. But God says that one is poor. One day I'm going to take him away. Who will now use all the money that he has amassed? So sometimes, you know, I'm bringing out something here. So it's possible. This man, he said, his own is that he had a number of goals for life. One is I want to do something that will affect the whole earth for 300 years if Jesus does not return. He's thinking about that. And then he wants to see how much money one person who grew up in poverty can give in a lifetime. So he's aggressive. The man is aggressive with giving. All this uh, give so he can get. He doesn't have the time. That doesn't work fast enough for him. I don't know whether you're getting the point. He doesn't have the time. He's only give so you can give some more. He does his giving to a crazy level. There was a time I heard a story. He gave and gave and gave. There was no money again. So he went and borrowed money. Using his company as collateral. So he could give it out. I'm not saying you should do that. It's very funny, but the man was just so concerned that how much money can I give out? And he's writing it down. He's only that maybe in a lifetime, let's see whether, you know, Bill Gates is uh, maybe one day give out all his money, Warren Buffett. His only, no, he's not. He started it early and he's counting it. How much can I give out in a lifetime? I give that one to let us know that that's another way by which, all right, somebody's gifts, all right, can be used. So maybe God said, look, you, I'm going to make you rich. What is your job? Go and give out money. Go and give out money. For some people, they are very effective in doing it. But they don't preach. You see, the minister stands up there and is preaching. And they are hearing his voice, all right, all over the world. But believe me, I'm in ministry. Hearing voice all over the place is not cheap. It's not free. There was a time, the information I had, I didn't personally verify it, was that TBN was spending $1 million a day to keep TBN broadcasting. Did you hear what I said? $1 million every day. At the end of the year, they spent over $350 million for you to receive broadcasts in your house free of charge. And they don't take advertising. I think they still are, but there was a time they were the world's largest television network. Count all the Americans, ABC, CBS. No. 
TBN was the world's largest television network. At a point in time, $1 million every day was their bill. Preaching the gospel is not cheap. And the little level we are doing here, I know how much money we spend. It's not cheap. But you see, God is good. Somebody say amen. amen. Early on, I learned this very early. It is wrong for a preacher to be preaching and be looking for money to sponsor his ministry. It's wrong. God doesn't like it like that. I've heard many people tell me things like, you know, before I enter ministry, I'll make sure I have enough money ready. I said, God has not called you. If you're talking like that, one or two things. Either you're not called, or you don't know anything yet. Yes, I should put that one there. You don't know anything. I've you know, I've built my business now. Now I can enter ministry. Ah! I said, God in heaven. You cannot, you cannot leave the reason why God gave you life. So when, you, when it's convenient. I went to ministry after I finished raising my children. After I have established and I have passive income. And I enter ministry. Look, let's just forget you are not called. <laughs> I learned that thing very early. So I prayed. Send financial laborers with me into the harvest field. What am I going to say? For some people, their job is all this money that TBN is spending. All the money that ministries are spending. What is their job? Make sure the ministries always have enough. Now, this interesting part, you will never know who they are because the financial principles of the kingdom forbids you from talking about money if you're one of the givers. You can't talk about it. Only one person knows about it. If you're married, maybe your wife, your husband, your friends don't know. God forbids you from discussing it with them. Your business partners don't know what you are doing with your money. They'll be looking at you. Your mates are living in big houses. What they don't understand is that for you, it is not yet time to build a big house. Every time you want to build a big one, your spirit will say, Ah, if I give this money to this particular ministry, let's see what they can do. You tell your wife, let's manage this flat for another one year. <laughs> it will take the Lord to come one day and draw your ears. My friend, move from here. I'll move to a bigger house. That is what they call, listen, I will talk about it later. There is what the Bible calls a giving ministry. There is. Go and read that Romans chapter 12. He said, there is he that teacheth, he that prophesies, and I said, he that giveth. It's a ministry. But the point I'm making is that such ministers, you don't, look. You no, know, Pastor Paul, last time he was around, he said something. He was just, if I didn't want to say it, he said, let me just give an example. That he knows very few people who give in, in, in covenant in Lagos. That he doesn't know most of them. All right? He knows just very few. He said one of the guys that did, he was rushing from the town that day to get to a program they were doing. He said one guy gave seven million dollars for that program. He said that's not the gist. The gist is that nobody knows, apart from the few people that know the accounts in the church. Why? He comes to church wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. And he sees in the crowd like anybody else. Only foolish preachers now put people like that in front. Or these are the supporters of this ministry. You now give them chair in front. You are destroying yourself. You are destroying them. Because you see, God is very careful that they don't get glory on the, from men. So you should not help them. Sometimes preachers think that we need to do it to encourage people. Are you their God? 
Teach the word. If you want to encourage the man, let him know your reward is with your father. That's the encouragement he needs. Not stand him up and say, oh, we're not for this brother. We wouldn't be here. God will, God will remove all of you tomorrow so that you will know that brother or not. <laughs> Do you understand my point? <laughs> so that you know that brother or not that brother, all of you are going. How can you insult God by saying, we're not for him, we won't be here? There are titles you don't use for human beings. We're not for this man, I won't be here today. God said, eh, so minko. What am I? Am I a mirage here? He took my name and placed on a vain thing. He broke the spirit of the third commandment. If you're a preacher, be careful. Don't recognize a man publicly because he gives your ministry a lot. You're not helping him. You are destroying her. You are destroying yourself. If the fellow is not content to give and be obscure, let him go away with his money. And that's what church is supposed to be. Why? Because each ability is a gift. I hope you get my point. Later on, we'll talk about money later. You'll see that the ability to earn plenty is a gift of God. It's not like you are wise. People make it look as if it's wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's a gift. It's an anointing. It's like God empowers a man, he takes the Bible, and he teaches, he preaches, you're blessed, you're paying attention. Yes, he studies, yes, he prays, yes, he has experience. But that is not what confers that thing upon him, is that he has a calling. In the same manner, to be able to sit down, do business, and pocket a profit of 20 million naira as a Christian, it doesn't mean you are smart. It means you are gifted. One of the things I'm going to talk about in this list is for us individually to know our gifts. And stop running about to places where you will not be effective just because that is what is popular. I talked about the money thing for just one simple reason. To let us know, are you getting my point? That the man that's faithful as an example in that money area, you won't see him. God forbids that he be spoken about publicly. The only one that you see of course, prominently are those of us who preach, stand on the platform, everybody sitting around us, cameras are focused, they edit it, they put it everywhere. So Christians now erroneously think that the day of judgment, these are people who are working for God. Foul. For the work of Kingdom World Ministries, the day of judgment, you don't know who gets the highest reward. For the work of, of Billy Graham Evangelistic Organization, you don't know who gets the highest reward. Sometimes the fellow that gets the highest reward is not even there. Doesn't even come for their meetings. But God just impresses upon this man, this woman somewhere. Say, this man must not fail. These are the problems he's likely to have. I want you to keep on battling these problems with him in prayer. Occasionally, maybe you just get a note. God bless you, sir. We are praying for you. That's the only thing. I tell you, Brother Andrew, Sister Jane... You don't know who, so, you don't know. You say, your wife, do you know the, who, who Brother Andrew is? No. No, Sister Jane? No, 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 it's not the one. Okay, I don't know. In case you don't know it, prayer is important for the birthing of things that God wants to do on the earth. Very, very important. You read the Bible, you see men like Simeon, see a woman like Hannah or Anna, people like that, they prayed Jesus into coming. They shielded Mary with prayer. 
God raised them up specially for that. One, he said, listen, you will only be with your husband for a few years. From that on till, till you die, your job is pray. Simeon prayed so much, God gave him a gift. And if you know the reward of God is interesting. We misteach Christians. One will say, when you give a million, God gives you ten. That's not the reward of God. No. That is a greater responsibility of God. That's what he does. When you are faithful, the reward for that is more job. The real reward of God is this. What's your name? Simeon. You have prayed for how long? 20 years. 30 years. Alright, this is what I'm going to reward you with. You will not die until you see that your prayer worked. <laughs> it doesn't want to give you anything. The reward is that you won't die until you see that your prayer worked. So he said, you won't die until you see the consolation of Israel. So one day, he was just there in the temple one day, then he heard a baby cry, and the Holy Spirit said, that's him. So he walked up there and said, ah! All my friends died. The last of my friends died 25 years ago. Many of my children's mates, they are dead. I don't have family again because of you. <laughs> I'm tired of this earth. I see everything the Romans are doing. I see the corruption in the temple. I see how the high priests have gone haywire. I see the disappearance of the northern kingdom of Israel. I'm tired of the earth. But the Lord said, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel. Until you see the birth of the salvation of God. So he picked the boy and said, now thy servant can depart in peace. He was tired of the earth. But God said, no, I want you to see. Like he did to Moses. You may not be there when the boy will grow up, but have a look. Send me to Moses. Moses, you have labored. You won't enter the promised land, but let's let you. I want you to see what you labored for. So he took him on a tour, showed him the angles, the corners of Israel. Showed him everywhere. He said, yeah, this is where Judah will be. Reuben will be on this side. This is for Issachar. Naphtali will be here. Showed him everywhere. Beautiful land, isn't it? Moses said, good. Yeah, this is where you lived. Hand over to Joshua. They will possess this land. Don't worry about it. That's how, what God calls reward. If you give a millionaire, it's a stupid testimony to come and tell me, now I have 10 million. You don't understand Christianity. If you give a millionaire for the preaching of the gospel, this is your testimony. Brethren, do you know for a millionaire, I heard this crusade held in this place. 500 people gave their lives to Christ. I heard this happened. How much? This is money that cannot even change the engine of this new car. Lord, thank you. That's the kind of thing you will get up and sell the car you were driving before. I said, what am I doing with the G-Class? Find me an old uh, RAV4, 1982 model. <laughs> There's no 82 RAV4. <laughs> okay, maybe 1992 model. He said, why? He said, I just realized that between this car and this, I can save seven millionaires. If one millionaire got that result, think about what seven million we do. So you are rejoicing. Listen, that's what the Bible calls reward. I hope you are getting the point I'm making. So please, let's not get into our minds that it's what we see outwardly that God is rewarding. So if we go to church and kuru, 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 we're rolling up and down. Let's do the work of God. Think the work of God is that which is prominent. No. 
No. The work of God is not that which is prominent. It's not. And let me say something to you again. The work of God is not even outside. 